This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, from time to time, I like to introduce you to leaders who are providing not just good products and services, but are providing those services in a unique way. And today's guests are doing just that. My guests today are Gary and Sarah Pentagill, leaders of ESINS. They're based in the UK and are considered in the UK as a community interest company, or CIC for short, which is the equivalent here in the US of a social enterprise business. They now have expanded into both Australia and to the US, and they're essentially a software company, but they have a desire to help people and nonprofits improve their service by providing a more compassionate way to help others. Gary's the CEO and Sarah is the Director of Services. I think you're going to really enjoy their approach to their business as they support nonprofits. Enjoy today's show. Well, Gary and Sarah, it's great to have you on the show today. Now, you run a software company in the U.S., but you are truly an international organization. You are based in the U.K., so number one, so glad to have another guest from the U.K. on the show, but you are really a social enterprise. We've had guests on the show that are people that run social enterprises, so my listeners will be familiar with the term social enterprise. So talk about what you provide and how you go about that. And let me just set it up a little bit for my listeners. You provide software, essentially, for case managers primarily, but your kind of bigger vision is this, that you are a social enterprise that seeks to provide smarter and more collaborative ways of working across the public and third sectors. And you're very mission-driven in what you do. So talk more about your organization and what exactly is your mission? Well, as an organization, we are... So we, we take on that social enterprise model. In the UK, we started out as a what they call a community interest company. So sort of, sort of along the lines of it's more flexible than being a charity. And it gave us, so we can work in an agile way to, to solve problems. But at the core of what we do, yes, you're absolutely right. It is, it's all about working together. It's about that collaboration. But it's also at the core of, so when we first set out, it was about how we could improve people's lives, but not just the lives of people in the community, but the practitioners, the people, the professionals who were trying to help people. Sarah and I are both ex-practitioners. We're from a, from a policing background, and that's where we saw, really saw sort of some of those complex issues and how we even start to bring people together to work collaboratively You can start to solve, solve those issues. I really like your approach. You're very unique in what you do. And I think you you provide an interesting niche in terms of what you're providing your customers. And you mentioned that your goal is to help people learn from each other. That doesn't sound like your typical organizational vision. So maybe you could share more why this is such an important value for you. And how do you go about doing this? So we always believe that people achieve more when they work together. So and coming from the, the background that we have, we recognise that agencies can't work in silos. 
they need to effectively deal with and support people who have complex needs. They need to actually work together. So the position we come from is being able to provide a secure sharing platform where they can truly work together, share information in real time to solve problems, alleviate risk, and actually better support people so they can come through the other side and improve their lives. If I could just further to what Sarah's saying, because we're, we're not, we really are not your typical software company because there's just so, there's so much more that we do is understand. So rather than when people come to us and it's, okay, you have to work in this way to fit in with the software. It's about, look, we need to understand what your problems are, what are you trying to solve, how are you working, so we can make it fit around the way that you're working. But also, it's coming from that, but not consultative point of view, but because from that hands-on practical point of view as well and understanding how they work. And it's when you put those two together is when you get that working very, very closely, we co-create this solution with the people that we're working with. Yeah, it's very much coming from that position of understanding. So we've experienced the cultural barriers to information sharing, understand the difficulties of competing demands, not enough resources, you know, increasing demand all the time, particularly, you know, with, with in the current climate. So when we, we sit down with, with a client who comes to us, we really do, we, we come from a position of understanding so we can unpick we understand the pain points and then we can start to co-create a solution. And because we are used so widely uh, geographically, we can also bring that good practice and mm. ideas from other professionals that work in the same environments as they do. So, so they're not kind of reinventing the wheel. They're not starting again. We actually bring something mm. and we kind of co-create the solution yeah. together. Well, I definitely think your story is quite compelling. You've had this vision to start what is now ESINS, but you both were still working at law enforcement when you had the original vision. As I understand it, you both saw vulnerable people grappling with problems like gambling and addiction and family violence and, and wonder if there's maybe a less authoritarian, more compassionate way to help them. So talk about how your background in law enforcement really helped shape the business that you now lead and the people that you're serving now. Well, we've both, we've both been quite fortunate because we've worked, I suppose, if you call them disciplines, we've worked, but, you know, we've, we've sort of both of us have worked in a number, a number of areas with, within policing. I mean, towards the end of my, to my career, mine was more, more focused on community policing and the final stage was within the youth offending, youth offending service. So we really got to see that thing and both Sarah and I both worked in the domestic abuse world as well. So what we were seeing, but taking on your point there, so you, you would see, and it's not just the impact. So you, you, okay, so take gambling, for example, you've got your problem gambler who's got an addiction. They may be going out there to commit crime, but it's then the impact on their wider family. It could lead to domestic abuse issues and it just goes on, on and on. And so one of the, the early initiatives we looked at or looked to to introduce, which we did, and we still we still run today as a, a gambling so gambling self exclusion isn't a new concept, but what it was was uh, where we were working in a three mile radius. There were thirty five different ways to gamble, from bookmakers to casinos, all different things. 
And the way the self-exclusion worked when they, they brought it in as a, under the new gambling rule, the law here was that that individual had to, was forced to go into each premises individually, the very places they didn't want to go into to try and ban themselves. So that's where we got all of those establishments working together so someone could just tell their story once, which is, a, and that's been a real key theme. I mean, this is going back to early sort of 2000s. But so that, that individual, by, by us coordinating those gambling establishments, the person with the addiction could just tell their story once they don't know, and we were able to securely share that information, get them working together. And then you can apply those principles to lots of other areas, as we have done over the years. Yeah, I mean, certainly from my background, sort of dealing with, you know, family violence and those kind of, you know, high, highly vulnerable people, the frustration of actually the police being on one system, social care being on another system, health being on another system, and only actually really sharing information, meetings on a fortnightly basis when actually, you know, the, the risk could have escalated in that time. And actually going over to the social services building and having to look at records to get the information I needed in the building, they were just paper documents. So sort of recognising actually if we can construct, you know, what's being required here, what's being asked for, it, you know, this, this one secure platform where people can share as needed where appropriate, still respecting privacy, but actually that can be in real time. That was really kind of born from seeing that, that real gap. That's where it really kind of came from. Well, I love the fact that you have that experience and now you're carrying into a whole new venture, but it carries into your values and how you go about serving people. And so maybe for my listeners too, give us a sense of how your social enterprise is organized. How many staff do you have? How much have you grown? As I mentioned on the outset, um, you're in UK, you're in Australia, you're in the United States as well. So give us a, yeah, just kind of a scope real quickly, a 30,000 foot level, as we say in America, about your organization. Yeah, so we've now got um, about 40 staff across the, as you say, across the U, most, mostly in the UK, but in Australia and, and the US. Got a small, small team based there. So yeah, we, we've just, we, as you could say, we, we've grown organically. I think, as I said, we, you know, we've never, we're not a funded organization. We've always been self-sustaining. And I think that's been a real looking back, although it's been very, very difficult and tough at times. But that's really enabled us to be work in that agile way and respond to problems, because you know it, almost overnight, you know something happens in society. The pandemic's a very good example of that. There's something can happen, and you've got to be able to react to it. And we've been, you know, we've managed to work work in that way. So yeah, so yeah, we're now three companies, you know, three separate. Although we were a group, we we refer ourselves as to as a group, empowering communities group. But yeah, the, the three companies across those the three continents. And we're a mixture of technical people and ex-practitioners. So, you know, we can cover both aspects. So we know how to build, but we know what to build because we, we, we know mm. what they, what's needed. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. 
If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Oh, no, really helpful to get a little bit more of a background on that. Again, for my listeners to get a scope of what you're doing, how big your organization is. And you said something really powerful. You said you have been self-sustaining from the beginning and staying financially solvent is so critical for all nonprofits. It's one of the most difficult things you do, right? Is you're constantly in fundraising mode in a sense. So maybe talk about how you have remained self-sustaining for so many years. What has been your secret? What has made you so successful at that? If I'm absolutely truthful, I'm I'm rubbish at writing funding bits. I think that's the truth. So no, I, hey, that's I, good. True confessions are true confessions. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It, I think it was it, right from from the. I mean, people said to me, you know, at, at the outset, I sort of I've got this idea. I'm thinking of doing this, and it was always oh, you'd set yourself up as a charity, and you can go for funding here and funding there. And I sort of looked at it, and it really wasn't. For us, it was too it was too constrained in a way, and, and that's not criticising anybody else who took a decision to go that way. And it, and it's very and it has been very very difficult mm-hmm. because you've got to like suddenly you're, you're trying to be a social enterprise, you're trying to do social good and all the all those positive things, but you've also got to have a commercial mindset and you've got to go out there and sell and convince people. Look, we've got this idea, and we want to. We want you to buy into it because we can help. And, and you, you, you imagine, I mean, like one of our first customers was Cambridgeshire Police. So the day it's like, who's this? You know, who are these people coming along to the police and going, hey, give, it, give us your data. We're going to host it on our infrastructure and we're going to get you working with, with these partner agencies. And I suppose fortunately, you just need, it just needed once one organization bought into the concept. And then it just it just snowboard and and we and it really has just been word of mouth. That's the thing, and I think it's and I think it's because we've taken. I always we always say to people, see us as one of your partners, and we always say that, and and and, and they should always view us as that because that's how we achieve and that's how ev- everyone benefits from that mindset. So that's mm-hmm. probably it. But it hasn't been easy. Definitely has not been easy being self sustaining. I know it sounds like it. And again, that's just very honest. And I appreciate your honesty about the fact you're not great at grant writing and maybe fundraising is a difficult thing for you to do because I think there's a lot of people in the nonprofit sector that don't feel like they're very good at fundraising and yet they love the mission of the organization. They love what they do. They just have a hard time getting others to fund what they love. So thank you for that. Um, As you think about 
you've grown this, obviously, you've expanded. Again, you've expanded internationally, as we've talked about. What were some of the biggest leadership challenges, maybe even barriers, that you faced along the way as you were growing this organization? I think probably some of the, the, the biggest the biggest challenges. So, so our customer, our customer base can be the not non-profit sector, but it can also be statutory authorities. So, so we'll be, we could, it could be police. It could be the, the health service, uh, you know, so, so children, adult social services. So it's, I think some of those, the real barriers are people who are, you know, no, we've, we, you know, we've always done it this way. This is how we've we've got it, or you know, we've got our own system, yeah? and that was yeah, we've got our own system. We're not double keying, we're not doing to there, and and it's. But once you get over that, and once people begin to listen, they can they can see see the benefits, and once you can start get organisations working together, there's actually less calls to service because. You're you're delivering. I mean, you're, you're you're delivering better outcomes for people, and ultimately, you can resolve issues faster. You might be able to actually, from an early intervention point of view, stop them from escalating. We use the the gambling as the example. Was someone who we helped through through the, the program as as when his gambling escalated, it ended up with domestic abuse, domestic violence. And so he ends up arrested, then you've got a victim and you've got, you know, so there's all of those issues. But if you can recognize those issues early on and get wrap that support, not only just around the victims, but put those support measures in place around an offender. So it's, it's convincing people of those. But yeah, the, the, the barriers of people who know we've always done it this way, we don't, we don't change. I like that. And, you know, we talked a bit before the show started about the fact that you specifically wanted to be a social enterprise because it it allowed you to be more nimble. You could be more responsive to the needs that you saw that maybe change monthly, certainly yearly. As you've done this now and built this out, are you glad you went that route or are there times you feel like, you know, it'd be just easier if we were just a regular business, you know, we, we sold certain things and we didn't have to be self-sustaining. Have you had some of those rumblings of regret and or just a thought, maybe we, one of these days we should shift back to more of what we would call in America, like a for-profit business. Tell me about that struggle. Perhaps maybe it's not been a struggle. I'm curious of what's gone through your mind as you've grown this and developed it. Definitely, it has been a struggle, and I just want to just take on your before I answer that question. Just going back to a question you you said before about there are non profits out there who passionate people who have got got an idea, and that's why we and we can talk about this. Uh, we set up the Eastins Foundation, so we now help organisations who are maybe struggling. Who are struggling to prove the concept? They may have a great idea, but no one's. It's like a chicken and egg. So yeah, you know they can't get the funding until they prove what they're doing is is going to work. So we'll help some projects. So we do help lots of projects actually. So it's they may it, we might help them get the get the data to prove what they're doing is actually benefit. It benefits society, and there's a social and a financial return on investment. So. We can, so we have actually done this. So having been through the pain, we now try and help other, other organizations. I don't regret it because what it has enabled us to do is to respond really quickly. So for example, with the pandemic coming along, that just 
that changed all sorts. And we were we were seeing, you know, you, you just and again, it's, this is across the world. You know, the, the number of the number of children who have lost a parent, and the, the numbers are the numbers are huge. So not only you've got you've got those, those issues, you've got schools being shut, you've got anxiety issues. People, you know, the people coming to us from the education sector around around this, and you've seen an increase in domestic domestic abuse as well. So we were able very quickly. We had a one of the solutions we got is a, a client engagement solution, but it was get the team on it. Okay, you make a few tweaks, and now we've got a, a student engagement module, so we can start to work in the education sector. But Emily, who works for us, and I was talking to Emily, and she's focusing on that. And I thought I oh, must be lovely just to be able to think of one thing and really just focus on it. Whereas Sarah and I were just across lots of lots of different areas of business. And I think that's the social enterprise thing. The non-profit has actually enabled us, people trust us, the people we work with and who approach us, they, they trust us and they, they know that if in, in, you know, we co-create a solution with them and three months down the line they need to tweak it a bit, we're not going to slap them with, it, with a big bill like, you know, a, a normal company would do. I think that's all well said. You're a husband and wife couple that have worked together, sounds like. How does it work for you to work at the same company? Because there are people that end up doing that here in the United States as well. And have there ever been moments when you're like, you want to fire the other person, and <laughs> which could cause some issues? But no, I'm curious, how is it that you have been able to work together? Obviously successful because you're still together and you're still working together. And do you recommend that for other couples that are looking to make a difference that perhaps working together has really worked. What are your thoughts on that? And what do you want to share there? I think, well, the secret is do as you're told. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the secret. <laughs> but no, I think it's talking for ourselves. We, we know we've each got our own sort of skill set that works well. As I say, any, any couple that are working is stressful. Any, any, it doesn't matter whether it's non-profit, commercial, there are the stresses and it's ups and downs all the times. I think it's, it's recognized, it's recognizing that, that stress. But no, it's worked. It's worked well for us. We, we bounce, we can bounce ideas off of each other. Uh, I think it helps that, it, that it's, and probably it'd be the same across any, any non-profit. You know, you're, you're going to be passionate about what, what you're doing. I think that's the key. Yeah. You wouldn't do it. What we do, I don't think you would do it if you weren't passionate about it. And I think we've always come from that position of shared understanding anyway, because we're both mm. in police service and I gained some promotions. And so when we had our children, I gained some promotions. So we kind of swap roles, if you like. So Gary went part-time and I went back full-time, which enabled you to balance the childcare and starting the business. So it's always been a, a team effort, really. I think there's, it there's always well. up, there's always ups and downs. Yeah, you bet. Well, congratulations on still being married and still working together. So well done. You're doing something right. Well, I think my listeners will want to find out a little bit more about Esins, your company, as well as you two. What's the best way for them to get to know more about you and to learn a little bit more about your software, social enterprise? Well, obviously, they can, they can go, go to our website, ecins.com. What we would really recommend that they, they do is, because we're part of our, our launch into the US, is that we are, through the Esins Foundation, 
we're making $500,000 worth of support and software available. So it's an initiative. So if there's there's any organization out there that wants to, and it's not just about case management, we've got a a whole solution. If you go to our website, you'll, you'll see that. So whether it's you're looking to some help to reduce your administration, you want some automation, whether you're looking at some case management, client engagement, get in, get in touch with us. We'll see if we can help you. Or even if it's just, look, we've got this idea, we're thinking of doing this. Because we have got, we've got that, I suppose, that we're very fortunate that we work across lots and lots of areas of business in different geographical areas. And so we can share that good practice and maybe give people ideas and, and maybe introduce them to some other people maybe somewhere else in the world that are doing something similar and they can share ideas. Pretty much summed it up, yeah. Up. Go to yeah. the website, it's, it's all on there. There's a, um, if you, anyone wanting to apply to, to get their, their hands on some, some free consultation and software, um, there's an application there, not, not very tricky to fill in. Just tell us about your, your organisation and what you're interested in and how you think we can help and we'll get back to you and, I think that's 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 the, that's the key thing. You know, it's, 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 it's our problem-solving approach. So if there is something that's causing you a bit of a headache, and it, as I said, you know, everyone's busy now, I'm sure, with the escalation of, of all the social issues linked to the, the pandemic. I mean, I know, I know we know organisations are really, really struggling just with the sheer volume mm. of people looking for help and support. We, we might better help you. So, yeah, just get, get in touch with us. Well, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much, Gary and Sarah, for being with us today. I mean, it's just interesting to what you provided. You do provide this unique niche again for this type of work to help nonprofits across the board. So thank you. Thanks for sharing your insights. Thanks for sharing your time and keep up the good work. Thank you you very much. Thank you. Hey, friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is non nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.